Today's guest is my friend Tim Jack. Today's topic is Jungian psychology. You may have caught some other stuff. I don't know if you follow me. Maybe you don't. But if you do on the internet, you probably have seen I've been writing a lot about archetypes and sharing a lot about archetypes. And this thing has kind of fascinated and uh, seduced my mind, this Jungian stuff. And specifically around how it affects your behavior and can be used in a practical way. And my friend Tim Jack, who runs the Seattle Psychology Meetup, he also is a YouTuber, he wanted to speak about it. So here we had this insightful conversation, I think, around it's mostly my interpretations of being in psychology and archetypal psychology and applying it to modifying your behavior. In case you don't know, an archetype is kind of like a character profile deep in our unconscious. It's, it drives thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And Jung would say, and I would agree with the master, that the path of individuation or finding your true expression, your authentic, most powerful self comes from uncovering and rediscovering these parts of ourselves that we dissociate from during the formation of our ego. Oh, and last thing, I always forget to do this. I'm about to close the pre-sale thing for my 21-day Mask and Archetype Challenge. It should go live at the real price in July. So if you want to get the discounted price, check out the link attached to the show notes. Right now, you're listening to episode 056, Dark Archetypes and Jungian Psychology featuring Tim Jack. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, so the devil inside us, how sexual archetypes can heal the soul. Man, I read this last night and I jotted a lot of notes down because it was just an interesting read. There were some things that I really thought was awesome. There were some things that I thought were kind of out there, um, but I wanna, I kind of want to go go down from from top to bottom. So let's do it. Let's do it, man. Before we jump in, I I mean, it didn't get read as much as I wanted it to. I think maybe it's because it's long and it's like a high attention thing, which is fine. But some woman wrote me a very long email saying she wanted my address to send me a longer letter because email couldn't fit her thoughts on it. So I don't know if she's actually going to send me a written letter, but she said, I mean, she she had a lot of critiques or thoughts or something. Yeah. That's good, man. That's you're getting feedback. You're doing something to get feedback. So that's I guess good. So. At least at least here. Yeah. Um, cool. So I want you to rate me, man. That's how it starts. And uh and uh I'm I'm curious. first of all, there was a comment on your on your masculine underground. The dude's like getting all uppity about how you started it. And I assume that you started it this way to kind of catch to capture people's attention. Yeah, well, actually, if, I mean, this is more on the writing side, but I was in bed with a woman recently. I've been, no, it doesn't matter my personal life, but it just popped into my head this memory of a woman yelling this to me. It was like, oh, I bet this is a thing that a lot of people get confused about. It's kind of like a highlight of something, but I didn't know what it was. So I wrote a whole article on like very basic archetype stuff, starting with that yeah. line. I was like, this is boring. I wrote a whole article about being a man with that stuff. It's like, oh, this doesn't make sense. So this is actually the third article I wrote with that that opening line. I just felt like it had to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, it definitely grabs your attention. Um, and so you start this article off with talking about how you had an internal split. And I thought this was so interesting. You had one part of you that was like, fuck yes, like, this is great. But then you had another part of you that was like, whoa, okay, lady, you know, you better settle yeah. down there a little bit. And uh, it seems like 
and you you make the point that if somebody if a normal person would hear this they'd think oh this is a, like a pathological thing this is a like this is a, a weird thing that somebody would want to be raped um and it sounds like a, the premise of the article is that is that you're relating to that part of you incorrectly that like uh in getting scared by that part you're you're kind of stopping yourself from the healing that could be there could be yeah. like uh is that, yeah, is that's that... arguing, I mean, I was just using the rape fantasy as an example. This is one thing that people get confused by a lot. But I think that goes, that's true for most impulses that we feel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're crazy. It just means there's some part of us looking for a need to get met. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about, um, you talk a lot about, well, at least in the beginning, you talk about the controlling ego and how, and a lot of your work is kind of around this getting out of your head and into your body. And that, mm-hmm. that seems to be a course that you talk quite a bit about because I guess in, in putting a premium on thinking is kind of severing you from what it seems like. Is, is it, is it fair, fair to assume that you think there's more wisdom in your body than there is in your neocortical? Thinking? Uh, I mean, I think it's over the, the ego stuff is overvalued. I think it's ironic. I mean, you hear a lot of uh, polarization around it, like spiritual people are like, dissolve the ego, kill the ego, remove the yeah. ego. I don't think that's yeah. the, I mean, the ego is great. It's, you know, it's part of being a human. And I yeah. used to get the ship captain analogy in the article, but there's yeah, a yeah. lot of wisdom in the crew members of the ship, like your archetypes, your unconscious wisdom, that if they're not on the same page, you're going to miss out on. And I think a lot of our pathologies and neuroses come from, being disconnected from a part of ourselves that is useful in some way. So, so let's so let's talk about that. Um, people get disconnected from, I guess these these archetypes that relate to their full expression or their individuation, right? The the full mm-hmm. expression of self. So, tell me a little bit about how that happens. How people get separated from this, and tell me about what those manifestations look like in an, in an ordinary person's life, like in terms of neurosis and things like that? Yeah, so uh, the common explanation, I think most everyone agrees on this, uh, this viewpoint that we're born not seeing separation, certainly not within ourselves, not even really with our environment when we're really little. And then uh, as our mind develops and our ego develops, I mean, our ego forms in order to interface with the world, with our parents, with the rules, with the environment, trying to fit in. And yeah. at some point, um, unless we had an absolutely perfect upbringing, which maybe no one has, with perfectly secure guardians, which probably no one has, uh, I, we realize parts of ourselves need to be discarded. Like, oh, that impulse to yell and jump on the table and dance in our in our dance naked is not okay we can't do that so that that part of ourselves gets shoved in our into our unconscious because our ego is trying to be like okay this part of you is cool this part's not this part's cool this part's not and those uncool parts they don't go away they stay inside of us and if we really deny them they can pervert into something strange potentially or something harmful or even simple things like anxiety or like internal conflict doesn't have to be like this crazy pathology um, so some examples would be, you know, feeling internal dissonance on a regular basis. Maybe a more extreme example is having strange fantasies. I was using um, sexuality as an example, but also uh, a lot of our pains get eroticized. And I was making the argument, maybe it's one of the far out things that you thought, but um, I was making the argument that when we have a pain that needs to play itself out or an impulse that needs to play itself out, 
one way our unconscious might play itself out is turning into an erotic fantasy because maybe it's a more pleasurable way for our unconscious to deal with it. Yeah, I thought the way that you put it, that it sounds like that we have these kind of archetypes that are battling for expression and that if they don't get their chance to speak, they will just interrupt your life. It's yeah. like, if you're not going to let me speak, then I'm just going to jump in and force myself to be heard and, and you know, break the whole flow or rhythm of your life because I need, I have something to say. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, I'd say. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's super cool. Um, gosh, man, there's so much I want to cover, but I'm just going to, we're going to cover what we're going to cover. Yeah. And I'm going to stop freaking out about wanting to ask every question that I want to ask. So, cool. Um, talk to me about the anima and the animus. I know this is kind of like, I feel like there's a threshold of Jungian uh, archetypal psychology that people know. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, like you see the rabbit hole, you're like, oh, that's interesting. But it's like the deeper you go, you're like, holy shit, there's like a thousand tunnels that go every direction. So, yeah, yeah. So I was like that up until maybe a month ago. I was like, all right, I know a lot. I've read a lot of Wikipedia. I've read a lot of like, uh, I've read like articles by Jungian psychologists and I was like, okay, I get it. I get the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to, I'm making a course on archetypes. And I was like, I should really learn more. I mean, I, I should go beyond like the common understanding. So I, I picked up one of his books and it was, it was a rabbit hole. Like totally like, I can't believe I spent so much of my life not reading this. Um, what, anyway, what book was it? A Man and His Symbols, which is actually his most introductory book. But so I actually, I'm, I'm that was not, written by him and somebody else, right? Like it was his students or whatever. It's him and four of his students. Yeah. So I'm getting one of his students' books soon. It's like a rare book that I found. Um, I didn't have enough bot on. I'm in Thailand. I didn't have enough cash. It's like it's like a month's wages of a Thai person. Have it on. Anyway, um, you were asking about the animus and anima, right? Yeah, yeah. Just just kind of take me through that. Take okay. me through how I can relate to that in myself. Yeah, so his, um, his, uh, those are his terms. For, like the anima is the feminine side of the masculine psyche, of a male mm -hmm. psyche, and the animus is the male side of the female psyche. And he was saying, I mean, you know, there's many other ways to put it, like in Tantra, it's like the union of masculine and feminine within you. I mean, mm -hmm. in very common language is getting in touch with your softer side if you're a guy, for instance. And, but he, he um, characterizes as an archetype as like this, another character inside of you. And for men, for instance, or for women, getting in touch with your other side is really important for your full expression. Like I, in the article, I quoted a couple of things by Marie von Franz, which is um, one of his students, one of the youngies, one of Jung's students. Um, who was I looked her up like, after. I looked. Sorry to interrupt. But oh, yeah. I looked her up and I was like, wow, this is super cool. I didn't know who she was. And I saw you citing her in a lot of your uh, uh quotations or yeah 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 um well that the, the book that i am trying to get is um it's called the golden ass of something it's like a so her her take on it was that she took Jung's concepts and she went really deep into fairy tales and tried to yeah. pull out all the so like that was one of her rare books specifically about a man's connection to his feminine side um and uh as she's reminding me the men who run with ponies what's that the men who run with ponies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the whole the whole jam and like Campbell goes into this a lot too. Is like our mythologies, mm -hmm. our representations of stuff in our psyche. That's why those stories are interesting to us. Um, so just close the loop on the animus thing or the anima thing. Oh, I was arguing in the article that the rape fantasy is one way that we confront our other side in extreme, like raping is kind of a very extreme male female behavior i mean maybe that's a controversial statement but i think it's true and you can see this i have many examples but um like 
for me to want to, to feel the impulse of like, yeah, I kind of want to violate, like that's me really getting in touch with some extremes in my psyche, I was saying. Um, and in, in a less, in a very, in a far less extreme example, I'm certainly getting in touch with my softer side, my feminine impulses, um, our other, I mean, you could come up with a lot of examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, well, a couple of things kind of pop into my head. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of, if you are born a man, does that make you masculine by default? Because I feel like I know a lot of men that seem to dwell in the female archetype more than the masculine archetype. It's possible. And I don't know if you, I mean, I've been asked this by a couple of guys who I've coached who are like, okay, I'm reading about this stuff about masculinity, um, but I have these feminine impulses. Am I kidding myself? Am I like being culturally conditioned to be feminine? Or it's like, am I really a feminine person? And I would say, my question to them is, have you seen Fight Club? What did you think about it? Because if you found, it's kind of like my litmus test. Like if you, if you got like some charge, like, oh, there's something, there's something about this like Fight Club thing that's like exciting to me. I'd say you do have a very, you have a masculine side in you that maybe is underexpressed if you're coming off as, fem- as feminine. If Fight Club is totally boring to you, then maybe not. Because I think entertainment is one place where we get to see what, what's really true for us. Like it's kind of hard to condition entertainment to someone. I think I, I, I this, this is like kind of a loose theory, I, you know, not proven or anything, but from my observation, like the things that we randomly find entertaining really tell us like what is truly true. It's true for us aside from our conditioning to a degree. Interesting. I'm just thinking about the last two movies I watched always be my maybe with Ali Wong <laughs> and what was the other one? Murder Mystery. It was an Adam Sandler movie. And then Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, which is just kind of absurdist horror uh, comedy. Yeah. Um, Did any of those movies really touch you? Like, were you like, wow? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll always be my maybe. I really liked it. I, I watched it twice. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's probably the opposite of, <laughs> of what I... Uh, I mean, Gladiator. I mean, Gladiator. Um Let's see here. Uh, cool. Um, so what, what, how do you, how do people use this knowledge practically? Because Jung is one of those people where you can dive into him and it's amazing because it's like the algebra of the psyche. Like if you really get to understand Jung, it's like you're, it's like the ability to understand it is like doing algebra. You know, it's like, I'm meaning it's complex and it's not something you can just like, you have to dig really deep into yeah. it. Well, I, actually, I would even go further because I love that, that what you just said, it is like algebra and that you're taking symbols to represent other things like X plus yeah. Y plus seven. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that's, I, I thought that's what you were going for. I thought you, you were going a little <laughs> no, a sophisticated analogy to that, but no. um. <laughs> 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 algebra is hard that's my point <laughs> so glad I, I did this podcast with you this is a great first podcast um, um no but but you know what i'm saying is that it i i think that a lot of people will get into this stuff and like you can talk to somebody and say oh man it's you know you, you really should explore your anima more it might be that it's like i could see people kind of like so so how do you how do you use this in a practical way without just going into the point where it's like, I know all this stuff. I'm deeper in my head than I've ever been. I know about symbols and I'm just like, you know, I can't even have a normal conversation now because all I do is think about yeah. it. You know well, I mean? 
before before I go into that, I, I have a client and I've been speaking about archetypes a lot because obviously it's like my recent obsession. And yeah, he, yeah. he's read it, so he wasn't like totally new to this. And I asked him like, uh, what does the little girl inside of you want? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, I do understand. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, uh, it's just an odd way to put it. Um, what does the little girl inside of you want? Yeah, I mean, your 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 child, your inner child slash anima, obviously, right? Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. Um, so what, practically, does your, what does your little girl want, Ruan? Uh, cuddles and love. There you go. <laughs> approval of my father, perhaps. Um, there you go. Uh, oh, so practical use. I mean, all right. the only reason why anyone would care other than just being a nerd mm-hmm. is if stuff in your life isn't going the way you mean to, specifically your unconscious behavior. Like you mean to work on this creative career, but you're constantly procrastinating. You're constantly sabotaging yourself. We have like patterns in your dating life or relationships that like, I know I'm supposed to do this. Like, or like, I mean to do this and I always do that. Like, why do I always attract people like this? Like things like that are the reason why you'd even care about this in the first place. Like if everything's going well in your life, I don't think anyone really digs into psychology, self-help or spirituality. I think you got to have a problem. Until you become a self-help nerd and then everything's interesting to you, but that's, that's a separate thing. Um, and then like looking at these behaviors, I mean, the way I would work with a person is even without discussing archetypes is like, there's a part of you that is creating this for a reason. Cause like, you're not an idiot. Like you're not bashing your head against the wall because, you, because you're stupid. Like, even if you're doing something self-harming, I would propose in most situations, at least there's some need trying to get met it's just getting met in a weird way kind of like the what you're just saying like if you're denying your archetypes it's gonna be like hey i need to be heard i'm gonna be heard by dating this person that's so bad for me or i'm gonna be heard by like sabotaging my creative dreams but i'm gonna be heard fuck man there's so many things i want to say right now yeah and like so just very quickly to wrap this idea up uh i'm not rushing you it's just it's just spring a lot of thoughts go ahead oh yeah cool but to um I would propose that all of these drives have a way to be fulfilled without doing the destructive act. Destructive act is just like your archetypes uh, last ditch effort because you're not listening to the need that's, that's brewing. It's been brewing inside of you. So I have a recent example of someone I just spoke with recently. Um, he, he identified, he slash we identified that there's a part of him that wants notoriety, even if it's negative. So he's had these unconscious behaviors where he does stuff to be talked about, even in a way that he hates. Like he does stuff to be talked about in a way that is not pleasurable. Like people talk shit about him. He's like, why do I do this? And then I was arguing or suggesting to him that there's a part of him that really wants attention. He won't let himself have the attention in the positive way because he feels guilty about it. So he does these unconscious behaviors to get this attention. That's not a bad part. And he, he also has a drive to be a writer and get his voice out and stuff. It's like, well, how about you actually publish the, your thoughts and you get attention that way? Maybe, it's just a hypothesis, maybe you won't do this unconscious stuff to get noticed. Hmm. And we see this in kids a lot, all the time. It's very obvious when a seven-year-old does it. But when as a 30-year-old man, you're like, what the fuck? Why am I, why am I doing this? It doesn't make sense. But your feelings are your feelings. Like our so, feelings okay. don't help that much. So this is, this is perfect. This is, this is perfect. So we'll use this person as an example now mm-hmm. and we'll, and we'll kind of take what you will take this and we'll apply it to this. So say this person, and this is just fantasy land now, right. say this person is young and for whatever reason, the only way that he can get attention is I guess 
by what he doesn't get enough. He doesn't get the proper attention. So even negative attention is something. So, and that's what he kind of ingrained. And then that scaled up into his adulthood and whatever. So, so archetypally speaking, what has happened, what happened to him when he was a kid uh, to form, I, I guess, how, how does that relate to archetypes? How, yeah. how do the, ar, ar, you don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would say, okay. I mean, if you imagine yourself, if you imagine all of your impulses as like character profiles inside of you, like you have a warrior yeah, self, yeah. you have a mommy self, you have a little girl. Um, there's a part of you, I don't know what you would call it, but there's a part of you that wants attention. I mean, really what we're doing is just like personifying a need. Like there's an attention seeking receptor in you, or we can call it the attention whore within you or whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, this need isn't being met through a healthy way. So it screams, as you mentioned, like, is it interrupting your life? Hey, I'm going to break shit so that people pay attention to me. And that way that need is satisfied. And that part of you becomes like, because you've dissociated from it, because you haven't been able to get that need met in a healthy way, it becomes kind of its own personality in you. And like, if you don't identify with it, so you're like, I'm trying to do this, but I keep like, why does like something in me, something in me, it's not me, something in me is like making me do this thing. It is you. You're just acting like it's not. So, so is a good way of, of thinking about this too, you know, a lot of people when they like, like a, a very common situation might be somebody's grown up and they know that sex is good, feels great, but their religion tells them that it's bad. So they have this yeah. kind of cognitive dissonance. So yeah. something happens, archetypally speaking, a part gets shoved down, that character profile gets shoved down, but it's going to have it say anyways. Yeah. So I assume that that's where we get things like um, what, like addiction to pornography or kind of like weird kind of like what um, pathological manifestations of sexuality. Is that, is that fair? Is it kind of? I'd say from- so. And I threw in a couple examples. Like I met a guy not too long ago whose, whose ancestors were genocide perpetrators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he yeah. has, he's had these uncontrollable fantasies about being tortured. I think that's a coping mechanism for the guilt. I mean, he even, I mean, he came to me and said, like, I think this is a coping mechanism for like the guilt I, I've been feeling since I realized this as a child. Um, common so thing. That's, like, that's his way of getting in touch with it safely and trying to integrate it or work through it. Is that, is that? I, I'd say so. Or at the very least, like there's a cycle that needs to complete and the sex piece is a more pleasurable. I mean, I, I, I threw this in the article as a, as an idea that, your unconscious needs to work this out and it might as well make it sexy for you to watch as opposed to making a horror flick in your mind. Like it makes it a porno flick in your mind. I think that's, that's the, the addition of pleasure. Cause like, you'd be like, okay, I get why he wants to complete this cycle in his mind. Why the sex thing? Like, why does it make him horny? Like what doesn't make any sense? Um, that's, that's my argument on it. And then there's other co- more common situations like the rape fantasy, I think is um, an eroticization of, archetypal power dynamics between men and women. Um, I think even things like the MILF fantasy or fantasizing about your secretary or your teacher, like these are all ways of like uh, trying to reclaim power, reclaim power in situations where you felt not so good, but you make it sexy. So, so this is where, this is where my criticism comes in, or at least where I want to put a caveat behind Mm -hmm. this line of thinking. Cause as I was reading it, I thought it was a brilliant line of thinking, but then something popped into my head which made me think, well, this line of thinking could be dangerous for these type of people. And the type of people that I'm thinking of is, I've been researching like obsessive compulsive disorder quite a bit lately and exposure therapy. I think it's brilliant that you can like expose people to the thing that scares them and 
their brain will kind of habituate to it and dissolve it. It's like the, it's like actual practical therapy. It's just so fucking cool. Mm. But um, anyways, there's some common themes that always pop up in OCD. There's a pedophilia OCD, which is people thinking about like touching kids or something like that. There's, or doing sexual things with kids. There's religious OCD where they think that something like God is angry with them or they need to, they didn't pray perfectly. So they have to do it again. There's a sexual orientation OCD where you're just not sure if you're gay or not. And you, you can't like, you be, you have to know. And because you have to know, it's just like, it's just intrusive thoughts to the max. And the other one is, is cleanliness. People will just, you know, they have to, it's the, the classic wipe the door. What was that monk? Was his name monk? The Remember that TV show, the guy who, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Was, wow. Can't believe I remember that. Um yeah, 90s. Anyway, so so going with your line of thinking, you would be saying to these people, well, you know, you're having these thoughts because they're representative of what? Of some kind of unmet need and this is the manifestation. Or like you this is something that you're afraid of, which is why your brain is kind of latching onto it and terrorizing you with it. Like, is that the same kind of do archetypes play into this kind of thinking too? Because I, I feel like, and sorry, I'm, I know this is a long point, but, but the whole thing with OCD is that the reason that it persists is because, um, essentially because you focus on it. Because it's like, uh, it's like, um, like your brain just has decided that it's important. Even like the thoughts don't mean anything about you. And it's all, if you look at the literature, it's basically the people that are least likely to commit those acts are the ones that suffer from the intrusive thoughts. So I guess, how does this, how does that relate to archetypes? Or is that just kind of a separate neurological disorder that wouldn't exist in that same realm? I know that's um, kind of a big question, but. Well, I'll go backwards and address what you just said, which is I'm not an expert on OCD. So everything I'm about to say is completely theory. I mean, I okay, okay. don't, don't take it, you know, sure, sure, um, sure. but well, the pedophilia thing is interesting because I've I've coached guys with stuff stuff like that. Like maybe they watched child porn once when they were like seventeen and curious, and and mm-hmm. and they feel guilt over it over a really long time. And from talking to guys like that, I'm like, there's no way this guy's a pedophile. Like there's no way there's no way you feel this much guilt over watching child porn once, and like yeah. I actually want to do that. It's it's like the fact that it's so taboo that it causes like don't think of the pink elephant. I'm not saying that's what OCD is, but that's the most relatable thing that comes to my mind. <clears throat> so it could be, I'm, I'm actually thinking of a specific person. I think his archetypal need in that situation was to be a good guy. And the fact that he watched child porn once freaked him out so much and like he won't forgive himself for that. I don't know if that relates to OCD, but that's what comes to mind in this one example I have of a person I mean, I wouldn't even say he has OCD, but he did have like this like compulsive guilt around he it. Had, yeah, um, and he, he had intrusive thoughts and stuff like that. It sounds like as well. Yeah, yeah. Like he was he was afraid to be around children because he was like, oh my god, like am I gonna? It's like no, like clearly and that's he's, the thing. And that's yeah. the thing. And this is called what's it called? It's um, there's rituals and compulsion. That's why that's where the compulsive thing comes in. And the way that it strengthens it is that what happens is, and this totally bleeds into a lot of our limbic talks. But what ends up happening is that your limbic system has anxiety and your brain looks for what to pair that anxiety with. And it pairs it with, uh, it, it pairs it with kids in this, in this moment. So now he's around, whenever he's around kids, he experiences anxiety. And then your brain is like, well, why the fuck am I experiencing anxiety? And then it will generate these thoughts. And then he takes those thoughts personally and 
thinks that they mean something about his character and that yeah. produces more anxiety. And then he starts to avoid the thing, which makes the thing bigger and stronger and more yeah. scary. And then, yeah. so, and that's, that's why, exactly. exactly. And that's, and, and that's, a, that's, let's see, exposure response prevention. The whole idea of it is like for, for him, what they would do with him is they would say, okay, well, let's put you in a room. Let's, let's take you to an elementary school and let's do it five days in a row. And instead of fighting the thoughts, just let them play themselves out. Like let yourself play it out instead of fighting against it. Cause every time you struggle against something and think that it's a threat, a threat, your brain is like, Oh shit, guys, let's pay attention to this. This is really fucking us up. This is a real threat. So it's like this kind of like, Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent now. Because no, no, it's interesting because I actually thought you were disagreeing because I would actually not not think of OCD, but with this guy, actually, I suggested to him, like, you don't actually know for sure. Like, I, I in my head, or I, I didn't think he was a pedophile, but he doesn't really know. Maybe he should find out in a safe way. And, uh, I, you know, I suggested he checks out some, like, the King communities or BDSM places where they kind of, like, role play this stuff and see if it actually is interesting to him. Because my guess was that, he would try it and find out he's not even aroused by that stuff. He's just been avoiding it. And then he'd be like, okay, fine. I'm not a pedophile. That seems similar to what you're, you're saying that the other people suggest, which is like, play it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing about it though, is that the reason that it's important to do it in a therapeutic way is that you don't want to give people more than they can handle, because Mm -hmm. if you do, it'll, it'll fuck them up more, you know? Like, um, for instance, uh, just a quick example, if like there was, there's this really famous, famous to me, cause I'm like psychology stuff, <laughs> famous has 10,000 views, so famous. Um, but it's just a person, um, it's, it's a therapist in a, in a, in a session with someone that has OCD around cleanliness and he's having her hold this trash can. It's just like a trash can, like who, who cares, but she's holding it. And he goes, and he's asking her to rate her anxiety, like in intervals of two minutes, he goes, what's your anxiety? And she's like, it's out of 10, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's really, it's really bad. And then uh, after two minutes, guys, uh, he'll say, what's your anxiety at now? She's like, oh, you know, it's at an eight. So you see her going down. So he's like, but you know, what about the smudge right there? What could that be? And she's like, oh no, it's really out of 10. It's like, he's like torturing her. But throughout the session, by the end of it, her anxiety gets down to a seven. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is she's just kind of, she's been exposed to it and her limbic system has gotten a chance to calm down in the presence of it. And it's like, like, I, yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm an expert, but that's, but that's what happened um, in that video. Cool. So this is reminding me of something this might not be super like totally related, but um Two things that always would make me contract were colds, which I didn't have a fear of, but I just didn't like the colds, um, mm-hmm. and then bugs. Like if I was, if I touched a bug by accident or something, like my body would like, I think maybe a lot of people have that response. It's not a, yeah, anyway. Um, and then the ways that I dealt with both was, I went to school in Buffalo, it was really cold. My technique was to actively try to feel the cold and I would stop shivering like a bitch. It was like, it was like my, it was like my, my trying to get away from it response, like dropped when I tried to feel a cold like with my mind and the same thing happened with bugs which is what I originally thought of like it, was, it wasn't really a phobia but I really got tight around bugs and when I was in um, OCS for Marines sometimes we have to lay in the grass for long periods of time and there was no way to get the bugs off of you like there's no way to stay bug free like I would it would make me so like I'd be so I was 
thing it is because like I'd be like that with the, the garbage can. Like it'd be so fucking tight with like a bug crawling on me. And then at a certain point, I was like, you know, this isn't this is tor- I'm torturing myself. Let me try to feel the bugs on me. Like let me like try to feel the ant crawling on my skin or the thing crawling down my neck. And it it, it kind of stopped my punching up. Yeah, yeah. You're you got bored of it. I guess right? so. You, you kind of got bored of the fear. It's like yeah. you you. And that's that's generally what happens is that people get exposed to the thing that they're afraid of. They'll realize they'll get exposed long enough to where it's like, okay, I've been exposed to this long enough. I'm doing it again. I'm kind of bored of it now. I know I'm going to be fine. And then you up it another level and you wait till yeah. Get it's a good way because like I think entertainment. I mean, going back to the archetype stuff of why. Sorry, yeah, yeah. We took a, a pretty big detail. No, but I'm bringing us back. No worries. Okay. <laughs> um, the interest thing. Uh, so, like, I have an example. Um, I was coaching a guy who's doing this, he has this dumb pattern with his wife. Like he reached out to me because he's disconnected from his wife. But then we broke it down. It's like, he's doing this behavior. Basically he's like picking fights when he doesn't need to. And he's like, why does she hate me? It's like, well, why do you keep doing, why do you keep like choosing to like fight her when she's being nice? Like it was something along those lines. And we recognize that there's some part of him that finds that interesting. Like he's like some part of him is so entertained by fighting with his wife that he won't let it go. Like he won't he won't let himself be bored with this problem, even though he hates it. And he's kind of afraid of what life would be like if they didn't fight. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but like it was something along those lines. Because I I mean, to go back to practical set setting, like how do you deal with these stuff? Like what is the thing that's being entertained? Like what is interesting about your problem that keeps you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is what is um, what was it? There's either something pleasurable that we're moving toward or something pa- painful that we're moving away from mm-hmm. and what fundamentally, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, my first thing would be like, I wonder if he fought with his mom. I wonder if the way that he felt emotional connection was through like, you know, just fighting with mom and, and yeah, like. Cause I, I can, I can, I can kind of relate to that myself, actually. It's like, it, it, it's interesting, man. You know, uh, oh, this is a whole nother long thread. All right. Yeah. I, I, I want- well, I have, I have an example, uh, cause I have been <laughs> traveling with this woman recently and we have a great connection and we got into an almost argument over dinner around something political. I think I forget. And I knew I had a really good line to like totally kill her argument to me. It's like, I, I came up with something. I pointed, I, I, I got a hole in her argument. It's like, I could really stick it to her and I would totally win this battle. And a part of me would feel great. But that part for the first, I mean, I think in, in previous relationships, I would have done it. I would have like stuck it to her. But for some reason, I was like, you know what? This would be way less interesting than just saying, yeah, you're right, whatever. <laughs> and then going back to like, hey, there's a part of me that was no longer as entertained by winning the argument. And I could finally let it go. And I was like, you know what? I think I leveled up the fact that I didn't continue an argument. Oh, that I yeah. won, <laughs> you know, one. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. I, I, I heard recently like, uh, there's no such thing as winning a fight with a partner. Yeah. Because you only, you get one of two things. You, you either get A, a defeated partner, which who the hell wants to be with a defeated partner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or B, you kind of get your little win and then, you know, the, then you're just, the, the whole kind of orientation between you guys is, is off if that's what your main goal is. So anyways, um, repressed archetypes reveal themselves in high arousal. Why 
I, you, you say it in the article and, and I, I, I just want to hear you explain that a bit more. Yeah. Why, well, why, no. why at those moments do they come in? Uh, there's a very simple way to look at it. I brought up Seinfeld as an example. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. George Costanza. He's not giving you a raise while he's coming. Um, yeah. well, on the, I, I think it's a line in the article too. Like arousal is a mind-altering drug. Like when you're really aroused physically, like it's like your consciousness descends. Like you're not doing math or, or algebra while you're coming, or like super horny. Like you can't really think. I mean, mm -hmm. we have all these examples. You get flustered when you're horny. So simple as that. Um, mm -hmm. But then I also go into, I, mean, I use an example from BDSM of like why women can sometimes feel, or people can find healing in being spanked. And uh, Omar Pani has this example of like emotions and sensations corresponding with each other, at least if not the same thing. And if you have a repressed emotion, that's like a level eight pain that your, your mind will let yourself go to. When you're getting spanked to a level eight of physical pain, it's like everything on that, on that level of pain becomes available. It's like when you're getting spanked that hard, your ego can't be like, no, I don't want to think about this repressed emotion. Like you can't help it. Like you, you've become so uh, activated that everything at that level of activation reveals itself. And like a woman will cry over a pain with her father from getting spanked in a dungeon. And like, it seems bizarre until you think of it that way. Wow. That, that puts BDSM in a whole new light. I think when people, myself included, um, uh, think of BDSM as just kind of like, what the fuck are these weird people doing? You know, but, yeah, same. But this kind of, this kind of puts it into a much more compassionate and a much more, you know, I, I have this sneaking suspicion too about just creative types and people that you would normally look at them and think, you know, well, what's wrong with them? I have a sneaking suspicion that I am usually the common denominator and it's just my limited awareness of what they're gaining from it. And, and it's my limited awareness and my limited kind of perspective on what's good and right in the world and what does and doesn't make sense. But like, it's when I read stuff like this from a, and I think this is why, why this is a testament to your good writing. So I'm going to give you a little compliment here, but Thanks. I do think that like when you read something and it kind of opens you up in that way, you're like, Oh shit, that's what BDSM is about. Like that's the healthy aspect of, of this kind of like what forceful and shadow like way of, you know, relating to your sexuality. And that's actually kind of beautiful. And it's like, and then you think, well, God, fuck, I really judged a lot of these people, but they were kind of trying to do the same thing that I was doing. But maybe they even went about it in a, in a braver way than I'm willing to go through. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're willing to step into the domain a little bit deeper than I am because I'm more afraid than they are or something like that. It just kind of gives you a humility for ways that, that people are trying to heal themselves or get in touch with these things. And I just thought that was so cool. I thought that was a really cool article, oh, part of the article. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and on the other side, I do think a lot of people do BDSM unconsciously in a way that's maybe re-traumatizing or not helping. But uh, yeah, I mean, this like, uh, I had the same feeling, like I didn't understand whips and chains or like, I still don't find that appealing, but the psychology of dominance and submission is very interesting to me. And for a non-BDSM example on the same thing, uh, I think a lot of guys have witnessed a woman cry after sex. Like, why is she crying? Did I do mm -hmm. something wrong? Like, no, no, it's the same idea. Like she reached a certain level of sensation this time on pleasure that got her to a certain level of activation and maybe a repressed emotion came up. Maybe she doesn't even remember what it's from. It's just like a trapped emotion that was able to release because she had an orgasm, for instance. And I think that's, um, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of guys. I mean, a lot of people have experienced that and been confused. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Something else important that I thought that you mentioned in the article 
this is this is fun to do this podcast. This is the first time that I've I guess this isn't the first time, but I know that I'm gonna do it differently next time. Um but uh but um but this is getting fun for me now, so I assume that it's probably getting fun for you too. Oh it's great um, for me too. Oh oh great. great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Um uh you said something that I think is really important for people to hear, and it's it's I think a lot of people have sexual desires or fantasies. And they assume that it's saying something about them morally or saying about the, something about them as a person. And I want you to kind of talk about what you touched on in the article about how your sexual fantasies or, desire, or desires um, aren't necessarily revealing something about you literally. Like expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, um, I think what I was getting at was it could be something non-sexual. It could just, again, be a need right? Like your, your fantasy to rape someone doesn't mean you want to rape someone. It might mean you don't express your power the way you want, or maybe, yeah. And then it's coming out in this extreme way. I think a lot of guys have fantasies about being a, like a physical hero, like beating someone up, like beating up a bad guy. Like I've talked to a lot of guys about their fantasies and that's something that's like, I thought I was, I mean, especially in times of my life where I had low self-esteem and felt like I was beta around everyone. I constantly have fantasies about beating some, like beating up some bad guy. Like I just be walking to a corner store and someone pulls a gun and I, I, I trip him or something like, like stupid, like, like cartoon comic book stuff. But like it would give me like that fantasy was giving me something. If it was, if that need was went long enough without being met or like I felt like enough pain there, maybe that would lead me to do something physical to get that need met. But it started with like a fantasy in my head. I, I think aside from like serious pathologies, I think that's the case with a lot of people. It's like, oh, you, yeah. I mean, and for me, I'm using myself. Like I went through a period where I was like constantly having these like beat people up fantasies. Looking back, it was clear that I just didn't feel enough power and when I started expressing myself, those fantasies went away. It's like I found the, the healthy way to meet the need. Um, I say that with everything. I mean, even with women who want to get raped, I think there's a part of them that wants to feel submissive or um, or surrender their power for a change. And like, because they're not doing it enough in this world that we live in where women can't really do that in a safe and healthy way, it comes out as a rape fantasy. I mean, that might be an oversimplification, but uh, that could be a case in some cases. So yeah, it's not, it's not about the literal fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of talking about that, you, you also talked about a gangbang fantasy, like, right. Mm. There's a, and, and yeah. how, how does the gangbang fantasy relate to, um, to integrating, uh, the anima, is that right? Is that the male one or animus? The, animus the, is the, the male side of the female psyche. So women. Yeah. Yeah. So integrating the animus, like t- talk about that and how it relates to this, this, um, racy fo- photo. So, that, that was um that was one of the that's an argument from maria marie marie louise von france the um the female jungian psychologist uh her argument was that women tend to have gangbang fantasies because the animus in women isn't necessarily imprinted by their father like she was arguing that a man's anima is almost always very much imprinted by their mother in the sense of like having the mother's tendencies or characteristics or like if they have an overbearing feminine side within them is because they have an overbearing mother. She was arguing that with women, their male side is less likely to be imprinted by their, their actual father. So the gangbang fantasy is kind of an impersonal way 
of having your male side express itself. It's like you're being dominated by a masculine force, but there's not like a specific person. Like there's no face on it. It's just a bunch of dicks. Um, so, so why why does the the anonymity need to be important there? Because her masculine side is impersonal. Like it's not oh, like okay, gotcha, it's not gotcha. like a guy with a beard and tattoos or a guy who's like it's not Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's not about Dave. It's not about her actual father. It's about her view of masculinity as a collective. Like all men are like this in her mind. Like this is what masculinity is: overwhelming force with a bunch of dicks. Like that's yeah. that's uh, how it manifests. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's super interesting. Um, talk about the gift that this woman gave you when she asked you to rape her. She, I mean, so when you're interplaying these archetypes in real life and in sex, they tend to come out. Um, she was sinking so deeply with such full approval into the part of her that wanted to be raped that it gave me full permission to play into the part of myself that wants to rape or wants to feel power in such a way. So like she, she took the leap of giving me permission. That was the gift to me because I could play it out in my head, but here I got to play it out in real life with a consenting adult. And that was, that was gifts. I got to play something out. I had a psychodrama. Yeah. Yeah. That was so interesting how I love, I love how you described the collective unconscious too, as, as like what, um, what psychodramas that, are so embedded in the human psyche that they occur almost in everybody at every point in history. Is that right? Yeah, I was using, I don't know if this analogy landed, but I'm also reading The Selfish Gene right now, which has been on my reading list for like 10 years. I wanted to, I skipped past that, but that was interesting too. <laughs> okay, well, thanks. Um, but he, he um, Richard Dawkins made it easier to understand genes in my mind. It's like a gene isn't a standard unit. It's like a bundle of information that for some reason has found itself to be useful or found itself good at replicating or like survive, uh, creating survival machines, which is what animal, what people are. Um, and it's been passed along. It's so like a gene that exists in you can only be called a gene if it also exists in one of your parents and one of your grandparents, one of your great grandparents. Like if it didn't recur, then it wouldn't be a gene. It'd just be a bundle of pages of information. So if it doesn't recur, that it's not an archetype. Yeah. Like I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah. In that sense, I certainly wouldn't be a part of the collective unconscious, but like the hero archetype is a character profile that almost everyone can relate to. Like for it's been, it must've evolved since the dawn of the homo sapien, like, you know, um, homo sapiens. Uh, so yeah, it's just universal. It's basically part of all of us because it's just so old. Something that stuck out to me today, we had a, a company sync and our CEOs are obviously like, highly assertive, masculine, disagreeable, you know, and uh, men. And you, you talked about the, we see uh, that, that a lot of like alpha males will, will be the first to kind of want to be dominated by a woman or that like. A, yeah. Well, to be more accurate, but the other way, say guys who want to be dominated often are alpha males. Like I don't think it's a majority of alpha male CEOs that are hiring dominatrixes to stomp on their balls. Uh, dominatrices. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard that a lot. It's like a very common type of customer. The guy who's like paying thousands of bucks a night to get humiliated. Stop. I want you to stop on my balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous and great, whatever. Um, yeah, because like the alpha male expression is only one part of them. That would be a very strong part. But if he's doing that 24-7, there's a part of him that wants to 
be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Low status. Yeah. And this is all kind of talking about this. This It seems like a lot of this is talking about the shadow indirectly too, right? Integration of the mm-hmm. shadow. So that's kind of the broader framework where all of these unexpressed archetypes live until yeah. they get a chance to have their say. Um, oh, and all right. I know, I know this is, we're getting long, but this is, this is one of my favorite parts. Um, you said archetypes seep, seek their reciprocal and others. Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, so that, that relates to the whole, um, she was giving me a gift. Like you can play out a fantasy in your head, but it's a lot more real and fulfilling to do it in real life with someone. So do you think that people unconsciously seek other people that can help them get in touch with certain archetypes? Totally. And I think every relationship pattern is exactly that. If you look back at your exes and like, oh, I keep dating narcissists. Why do I keep dating narcissists? There's probably a part of you that's getting fulfilled or needs, either wants to be a narcissist yourself or like wants more attention yourself, or for some reason wants to play out this experience where you're not, where you're doting on someone else. You're around someone else sucking up the attention. It could be because that was what your upbringing was like. So it feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. It could be, I don't know, it could be something else. But um, yeah, I'd say so. In our, in our intimate relationships, I think is the most revealing thing. Like if you keep dating people like like a certain way. I mentioned the Madonna whore, Madonna whore complex of like mm-hmm. men being attracted to sluts, but dating a nice girl is just like their mother. And not being able to get aroused with someone yeah. they love, but... Yeah. Yeah. When I read that, I, 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 it's the inverse with me. <laughs> you can only get it up with, with your soulmate. No, it, it's, it's not with my soulmate. It's, uh, you know, I, I think I, I messaged you about this. It was a, a couple months ago, but I was having my first kind of erectile like issues. I'm so, mm-hmm. oh, damn, why did I bring this up? Whatever. Seriously. I was having my first erectile issues. And what it ended up being for me is it ended up being a couple of different things. Um, it, it ended up being bringing it to the light. That was a huge part of it was just kind of talking about it. Um, and ended up me needing to accept parts, like things that I really need in relationship. Like I, I really like to, to, I really like affection. I really like intimacy and closeness. I really like um, the idea that like, uh, that, I'm not expected like to do anything that it can just like, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, like it was like, because I knew she wanted me to do it. I was putting pressure on myself to do it. And that's totally not how the body works. It's like, if you want it to happen, you got to almost not give a fuck if it happens. And then it's probably going to happen. Yeah. You know? Um, But, uh, but what the hell was, where the hell was I going with that? I always lose my train of thought. Madonna, Madonna horror. Yeah. Yeah. The Madonna whore complex. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I, I dated this girl a month ago and we ended up, uh, breaking up on good terms, um, because she wanted to like wait till marriage. And I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't think I can do that, which I really respect, by the way, I really respect it when women like do that. I respect it, not because I think it's the right choice necessarily, but I respect it because, um, I respect it for, Usually, this is this is the reason that I respect it in this particular circumstance. She had a commitment to her religion, and she was 
trying to stay within her value system that was given to her by her religion and, and trying to make that work. And I, I happen to really like religious people. I'm not a religious person, but I think one of the worst things that you can do to somebody is try to fuck with their religion. If it's not hurting you, but you start try to like start stripping away their little buffer of hope, you know, it's like, dude, fuck you, go away. Like, let this person have their, you know, their connection to something greater and whatever filter it presents themselves. But she was also yeah, yeah. Well, we could talk about that, but but um, but she was also questioning. She's like, you know, I don't know if this is the right thing, but I've, done, I've it's been so long. She was beautiful, man. I was like, yeah, this is this is interesting. Um, but she's like, I'll take uh, it, gosh. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I broke up with her because she asked me. She's like, you know, I've been I've been confronting like some of my religious questions, and I'm starting to think that maybe there are things that I am holding on to that are maybe need to burn off like my, me protecting this part of me. And I was like, that's awesome. But I don't want to be the guy that like does that. I don't want to be the guy that's responsible for, you know, for like taking that away. If you've been cherishing it that long, like I just, I just don't want to be that person. Um, and I think it's really cool that you've stuck with it. Um, I personally also, and I challenged her to, when we were talking though, I basically, and, and here's the other thing, like, for some reason with her, I was so fucking turned on. And this is before I didn't know that something was going to be able to happen. But like, she was just really loving, really affectionate, great values, just awesome, warm. Mm, really love the values. Awesome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't know what it is. I'm, the more that I get to know myself, I'm realizing that I just like, I'm like traditional kind of like, I, I like wholesome people. I'm really attracted to like people that are like, caring and loving and usually like kind of liberal open types. You know, but yeah. um, I don't, maybe I don't know part of your arousal feels uh, safe. Safety is huge. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. Um, I was also wondering this. This is probably me projecting onto you, but is there some ahead. some kink on, or like, do you get some uh, buzz on uh, violating the pure person? Um. Yeah. This and and the but but the buzz for me is that. I feel, I feel like, um, my, well, it's, it's two things. Uh, I feel like my specialness with her will be, I, I have this weird thing in my life where I, I really want to be admired and I want to be, uh, special. Tim, it's not, it's not a weird thing. It's just well, no, 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 no. I, I was about to say that it's yeah, not a weird okay. thing. Um, but, but I have noticed that like when, I'm with someone and I can just tell that it's just like, oh, you know, she dates a lot of people casually and she's just kind of down to do whatever. For some reason, that's like, that doesn't do it for me. But when I meet somebody that's kind of like, oh, I want depth. I really, really want depth. And I really like, am kind of selective about this part. And I think that this part that we share is like really special, like, and it's not commodified. Like that's what turns me on. So I don't necessarily think that it's necessarily with innocence, but I think there is a sense of like, me feeling like I am a special event in her life. And because she didn't have that many experiences and because it was so still kind of new to her, I felt like what I was doing wasn't in competition with the, the millions of other things that she's experienced from every different direction. It's like, oh no, like, like when, I, when I touch her this way, like there hasn't been many people that have seen this land, you know? And it's like, it's, a, it's an important touch and, and and that I just really like that. I thought that I, I get really turned on by that. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a very pure thing. I mean, I was actually going to. Go ahead. Like, like uh, 
I mean, we want to be special, but also there's something about being the only one. Like I was actually thinking of being an explorer. And then you said that like, like to be the only one to see a certain site, like that feels so holy. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I think it's great. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I mean, maybe you should go take your virginity. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, no. maybe you're denying an archetype. Maybe some part of you is going to come out in 20 years trying to take virginities all over the place because you denied. I don't know. I'll, I'll put it in my Google calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Plan for it. Yeah. Um, there, there is something to be said about that, though, um, that I've noticed that, like, especially nowadays, like with dating profiles and just being able to swipe through people constantly, it's like, I think it's, I think it's teaching people to like bail too soon and not really fully invest in anything because it's like something else is just a, a swipe away. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I was noticing that in myself and I'm like, God, this is like cheapening everything. It's like making me more scared of people and not want to get, have any real depth of vulnerability with anybody. And then I was thinking, God, like, and not sitting my intentions and being like willing to try somebody is stopping me is stopping the magic from happening. Cause the magic happens when two people like express that and they're like, yeah, I fucking like you. I fucking like you too. Just us. Okay. Like magic, you know, but it's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Maybe whatever, you know, eh. it's like, yeah. that's, that's lame. So I don't know how we got here, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, anyways, uh, cool, man. Um, I guess how can, how can we wrap this up? Um, oh, is it time to wrap it up. Oh yeah, okay, okay. I've been looking at the clock. How long? How long have we been going? I don't know. I don't know either. I think um, about it. I'm I'm kind of thinking about chopping this up and just getting bits of it that would be really interesting. So I think this would be an interesting question for people. What is something that people, um, that just a normal person? should understand about archetypes or what's what's the biggest takeaway for just a normal person to kind of uh what why is this taking me so long to say i understand i'll answer the question that you're trying to ask uh i think the the simplest thing to break it down to more because like i i find the concept of archetypes and i think you do too very fun so like Mm -hmm. it's you can go like very deep into throwing out terms and stuff but very simply on the practical side, all this is is personifying impulses. Like there's a part of you that does this. Let's put a character on it so you can visualize it better. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And if you have stuff about you, you have patterns, behaviors, feelings, recurring thoughts that you don't like, think about what is the need that's trying to be met <clears throat> through these impulses. Like you can imagine there's a person inside of you that wants this thing, like this ghost inside of you. Actually, I brought this up <clears throat> In another coaching session recently, like, um, uh, I forget, it doesn't matter what the details were, but there's some, some need that didn't get met in this guy when he was like nine or something. And it's like, because of that, there's like a, his nine-year-old self is like a ghost, like in the sixth sense, how ghosts don't get to pass on until they complete their mission or whatever it is. Like his mm-hmm. nine-year-old self is a ghost in him that needs to complete, that needs to fulfill this need. And it's weighing down on him until he gets to fulfill the need. So like Haley Joe Osman, you help the kid in you fulfill the need, or you help the, the, the destroyer in you, or you help the person that wants to get raped, or you help the whatever part of you fulfill their need in a healthy way. And maybe that completes that, but at least it'll stop the, the weird stuff you don't want. I assume, assuming it's not some crazy, I'm trying to put caveats in here. So I'm not, you know. Uh, so, so women, women that have rape fantasies, what would you say women that have rape fantasies and are kind of alarmed by them, or maybe feel a little bit what shameful or guilty, what would you say to them? 
first thing is this is perhaps an ancient part of you, ancient being like maybe you inherited it, maybe you were never sexually abused, and this is not catharsis. It's like you inherited this uh, this through your bloodline, and uh, just accept it. And maybe it's easier said than done, but you can't move on from it until you accept it. Kind of like the people with the obsessive thoughts about pedophilia. If you fight it, it's going to persist. If you resist, whatever you resist persists, like that kind of thing. Like you fight, if you, if you dissociate, if you shame that part of yourself, it's only going to get louder and more perverse. If you accept it, okay, this is a part of myself. Maybe I can find a way to get meet, meet this need, or maybe I just accept this as a part of myself. It won't give you so much pressure. So it sounds like it sounds like women that have this impulse or just people that have strange impulses in general should probably relate to it as a what as a symbolic representation of something that has some kind of useful treasure embedded inside of it. So it's like this is how it's being given to me but it's and I shouldn't be afraid of it because it's it's just a symbol for something valuable that I can extract from it if I'm able to approach it non-judgmentally. Yeah, and it might not even be sexual, as we mentioned in a couple examples. The rape fantasy, though, I do believe is a call from a woman inside of her to be submissive in a sexual setting. I do think that is, in many cases, sexual. Like, and especially now, I think why they, they tend to pop up is most successful women, most women... Now, I think it's very taboo to say you want to be dominated by a man. It's very anti-feminist, but it's still like an archetypal urge. It's a need. It's a thing that comes out in sex because no matter what your political values are, if something gets you off, it gets you off. If you get off on the fact that when a man like chokes you or, or overpowers you, like that's what gets you off. That's what gets you off. There's no, there's no sense in fighting it. Just do it in a safe way. Yeah. And I think something that's really interesting too, and we're kind of going, this is just Tim learning, by the way, for anybody listening to this, this is just me learning from Ruan. But I think it's also interesting because this ties back into, you know, what you said about BDSM, you know, that, that this is kind of people getting in touch with being able to relate to these extreme emotions and presenting themselves with these extreme emotions to try and kind of process those things. And that's like, when people are having really intense sex, it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really, it's hard to put it into words, but it, ah, man, I had such a good point to make, and now it just dwindled. But yeah, it's like, uh, like the rape fantasy is an intense emotion. You have some, your hand around somebody's throat, you're choking them, and that's getting them aroused. And the reason that that's okay is because, and why that could be potentially healthy is because it's getting them in touch with what a, a deeper unmet need in a loving way or something like that. Yeah. And I'd say maybe even more simply with the rape fantasy to be in the presence of a powerful man, which maybe was a shamed part. Like, oh, I don't need a man. And like, you know, a la second wave feminism, but it's still a instinctual need. Cool. What, what, what's next for you, man? What are you, what are you working on now? I haven't had a chance to take your course. I was going to take it. And then I saw that it costs money. I was like, oh, damn. Oh, the archetype thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it hasn't started yet. It's still on pre-sale as of this moment. What? I thought it started earlier in the month. No, I pushed it off because I wanted, I started reading Man and His Symbols. So I was like, I need to finish this book before I teach about archetypes. So that was one reason. Another reason is my friends at Fearless are taking part in it and they, they, they were full in June. So it's coming out in July. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if you go to masculineunderground.com slash archetype, 
you can sign up to be notified when the free stuff comes out. You can get an opportunity to get the paid stuff at a discount as of now. That's what's going on. I'm just living my life and working on this stuff. Cool, man. What's what's your favorite archetype? What's the archetype that you've gotten the most use from? The puppy. Uh, wait, what? The most what? <laughs> the the archetype that you've gotten the most utility from. Um, I don't know. Because like when something's integrated into you, it doesn't seem like a separate thing. It's only when like when you're dissociated, does it seem like, oh, there's a character inside of me. So there's probably stuff that's really useful to me that I just see as myself. But I think the dominance thing is something I've been working on over the last couple of years. And I feel it more and what more. The, what do you mean the dominance thing? Like the part of me that wants to be dominant. Like if you, like you met me, a, if you met me a couple of years ago, you'd think I was a huge pussy. In fact, people all the time told me, coaches who were trying to help me were like, you lack dominance. It's like nauseatingly terrible. Like this is why people are getting annoyed because you lack dominance. Um, and I just didn't get it. And then now flash forward five years, I feel like I really get it to the point where like, it's just a part of me now. Um, so it's been very oh, useful yeah. in like everything in my dating life, certainly, but in coaching and teaching people and just. And how did, so how, so how did you integrate that dominance? I don't think it was one thing. It was like, you know, it was many years of work, but playing with BDSM consciously helped. I think that gave me the permission. Like when I saw women want to be dominated, it kind of removed any, not any, all of them, but it removed a lot of my inhibitions of like telling people what to do and like taking control of the body or telling a person what to do. Like, it's like, oh, people actually really want, like it went from beyond my intellect that people want to be dominated or led. So like, oh, I get it now. Like, like people I feel want like to be led. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, you're, you're doing a service as a man. I mean, as a masculine person, I should say, you're doing a service to the world by consensually and lovingly dominating people in many situations. Like right now, I mean, you don't have to be dominant. This is my last thought. We could go on another thing, but I'll, I'll cut it short. Yeah. Um, being a secure man doesn't mean you're trying to be top dog all the time. Like right now you're interviewing me. So I'm like on some level, I'm submitting to your structure like you're you're doming me in the setting of this interview that's great i get to sink into like a more surrendered state where i can like i don't have to think and plan like what the conversation is going to be i'm trusting you got it handled and i'm surrendering into your arms intellectually and it's great i love playing in this space i get to relax and play in my feminine if you will and like, you're like you are doing a service for me like it's actually a great thing i don't feel less than you because of in fact like if anything like you're making me feel good so it's great. I mean, you do this all, I mean, this is like not a high polarity situation. We're not going to bang afterwards, but you know, there's, you know, there's all, these, all these examples in life where you're actually doing a service for people by taking control. Yeah. So yeah. what, what happens, what happens when somebody is, uh, I can't remember where you put it in the article, but it sounded like you were talking about expression too, that like, if you're repressing, if you're, it, it sounded like you were saying that, how can I put this into words? Repressing an archetype or repressing an energy is not allowing you to step into that full individuation. So for instance, if you are a masculine man who's repressing their feminine, then you will have what, I guess, a weaker, like a, just a weaker thumos or a weaker energy because of that. Is that right? Yeah. Or even like to put it in like concrete terms, if you're disconnected from your anima, you're probably going to have some issues in your dating life. Maybe you can get laid, but maybe no one feels safe connecting with you emotionally, for instance. 
And if you're all anima and you're no animus, then you're going to. No one wants also... to fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's a testosterone oxytocin balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these guys that you meet that are all in their heads, does that mean that they're all in their animus? Is that another way no, of saying that? I'd say it'd be the opposite. Like they're disconnected from their feelings. Like the anima, oh. you know, they're, they're in a, you know, being heady is kind of associated with masculinity. Like even, even, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about autism to, to speak about it, but I know it's been referred to as like, um, one theory is that it's extreme male brain. Um, it's like the characteristics of a male brain is ex, ex, extremely seen in an autistic brain. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know if enough, I'm probably going to say something controversial by accident because I don't know much, enough about autism, but, um, yeah, my, 30, back. my 30, my 31 subscribers are nice people. I think okay. Well, this is going out to my podcast people too. They probably there's probably an autism expert in there. Um, <laughs> just lambast you. Yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, you know what you said about that autism thing. I'll tell oh, you what. I mean, well, I had I had an autistic roommate, and I and he got offended by a couple things I said that I thought were innocent comments. But so I don't know. Anyway, to answer the thing, being heady, yeah, you're disconnected from reality. Okay. Cool. Awesome um stifler's mom that's cool uh yeah, thing i think is a cultural milestone that american pie gave us the milf acronym it's like oh i can be into moms and not have it be this weird thing where i subconsciously want to fuck my mom even though maybe that's the case or maybe the stuff although the oedipus fantasy was coming because of this need to feel loved by an older woman oh maybe that's what it is i'm working this out right now maybe the oedipus fantasy <laughs> is a repression of boys wanting to fuck older women which I think is actually a healthy thing for men to learn how to be with younger women. An older woman gives you less pressure and can teach you a few things. A little takeaway for all the young Thank men out there. Thanks. Thanks for the takeaway from this, for this young man. <laughs> I, I, have, I don't think I've ever actually been with an older woman, but I've, I've been with, um, geez, I've been with someone that was like a couple of years older than me, but I've never been with like a, Although well, I did, I did have a fantasy. Now that we're talking about <laughs> fantasies, <laughs> well, all right. I mean, my, my now final thought, unless we have more questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm down to keep going too. I, I mean, I just thought sure, you wanted to sure, go. Go uh, I've learned a ton from being intimate with older women, like ten years and plus older, that I could not have learned anywhere. Not from a workshop, not from a coach, not from anything else. Like there was something that was passed on to me about myself and sexuality and being with women that I think only older, wiser, more experienced women could have taught me. And I, and I, and I'm not trying to be funny. I really believe that sleeping with a MILF is good for you. If you're a younger guy, I think there's like so much maturity and leveling up and like learning how to be, because I mean, if you're sleeping with someone 10 years older than you, the idea that you're going to date and get married is probably not on the table. It's like it takes some certain pressures off and it's like she can really give you however many years of sexuality she has in the act. I think I think it's like almost like a rite of passage that's been lost in our society, like sleeping with the older generation. Not that I'm saying we should sleep with kids, just to be clear. Get that out of your head. I'm just saying, you know, between consenting adults. I think there's something to be said, too, about like, I think that women mature into their sexuality maybe a little bit later than men do. And there is something to be said for experiencing a woman that is more comfortable in her sexual expression and more comfortable letting out those energies it's, and more comfortable in directing you like you're kind of alluding to right now. So mm -hmm. yeah, 
totally. Let's let's hey, you know, let's let's find those older ladies, those older lovers undercover. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for uh for 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 chatting with me through this through this podcast. It was uh rough around the edges and oh, this uh, but this is great. Yeah, I'll the, see it again sometime. The yeah, but the but yeah, everybody out there, this is Ruan Megapala coming uh, coming at you live and and you can check out his his I can't even continue with that voice. Um check him out. He's online. He writes great stuff. He has a lot of great courses. I personally work with him. He's a f- phenomenal coach, good human being who's who's um really working through stuff and and trying to 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 push knowledge forward for the betterment of humans everywhere. Thanks, Tim. Did you speak about me in third person just now to make me uncomfortable? Is that your plan this whole time? I, I did. I did. I wanted to 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 channel your your awkward teenager archetype. So there you go. I hope I did. <laughs> cool, man. Um, all right. So I'm going to end the podcast now, but um, then I'm going to talk with you a little bit longer to catch up. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.